Okay, episode 9 of the Main Polls Podcast, and today I'm going to go over a couple of different bills currently moving through the state legislature. I'll start by looking at some of the firework legislation bills, including LD-1307, an act to restrict the sale, purchase, and use of fireworks in the state, and I'll finish up with what I see as problematic with LD-1779, an act to protect election integrity by regulating possession of ballots and voting machine devices. But first, fireworks. LD-1307, an act to restrict the sale, purchase, and use of fireworks in the state, was introduced in the last legislative session, but got carried over to this year. And following a January 14th work session, the Committee on Criminal Justice and Public Safety voted to move forward with LD-1307, which, as it's currently written now, would effectively be a full repeal of the 2011-2012 Act, making consumer fireworks legal in Maine. About 20 testimonials have been submitted to the committee so far, and the majority of them have written in support of the bill's passage. A good number of those came from rural residents that were upset with the noise. Testimonials included multiple complaints from farmers dealing with spooked horses injuring themselves and causing property damage doing it. Others, with rural lakefront properties, argued that the law permitting fireworks has caused them harm, not just from being suddenly awoken up on almost nightly basis through the summer months, but of also having to clean up empty mortar shells and other firework debris that lands on their property. The testimony from Mr. and Mrs. Irving of Northfield raised a number of good points, one being that, even if Northfield moved to ban fireworks in their community, they would lack the resources to actually enforce such a ban. In fact, according to their testimony, their community lacks the resources to even enforce the state's fireworks rules as they are now. They also discussed the potential for forest fires and cited that, in 2020, the Maine Forest Service responded to 20 forest fires started by fireworks and another six fires caused by fireworks reported by Maine fire departments. Assuming there's no overlap between those two numbers, that's 26 fires started because of fireworks in 2020 alone. And even if there is overlap, then it could still represent total resources used per fire. And then, in a similar fashion to what these rural residents are arguing, a couple of Lewiston residents, including State House Rep. Christian Cloutier, testified to a similar issue in Lewiston, specifically of people shooting off fireworks well within city limits, despite the fact that Lewiston has long banned their use in the city. Cloutier, who also sponsored the bill, testified that during the summer, the sounds of fireworks can sometimes be heard well past midnight, and has caused problems for pets and exacerbated mental health conditions for some residents, including PTSD symptoms. Cloutier also stated that one of the biggest complaints from her constituents are fireworks. Similar to the problem facing small communities like Northfield, Cloutier argued Lewiston police lack the ability to actually enforce the city's mandate, and the patchwork of rules and regulations adopted by other communities is only exacerbating that issue. Wiscasset residents Tom and Katie Bryant provided both written and spoken testimony in favor of the ban, and their reason for wanting to repeal is actually a bit more technical than simply taking issue with the noise. About 10 years ago, when fireworks were first made legal in Maine, the Big Al store along Route 1 in Wiscasset opened Big Al's Fireworks Outlet, and then, separate from the retail location, 
They also built a fireworks warehouse to store whatever wasn't at the retail location. The warehouse is also in Wiscasset, but at a different property. And where Big Al decided to build this new warehouse was along a residential dead-end road, approximately 15 feet from the Bryant's driveway. The presence of their new neighbor have led to a series of problems for the Bryant's. They testified to their inability to refinance their home because no bank is willing to lend on a property located so close to a fireworks warehouse. This also means that any attempt to eventually sell the home will need to be a cash transaction. Testimony from the Bryants also explained that, because of the way the law was written, the fireworks warehouse located next to their home did not require a state license or even any sort of state inspection or oversight to exist. In an effort to get some sort of recourse, the Bryants had actually taken their case all the way to the main Supreme Court. This was back in 2020, and the court found this loophole so outrageous that they decided to close it themselves by stating that these firework warehouses, because they are holding fireworks intended to be sold as consumer fireworks, that the warehouses would be subject to the same licensing and inspections any retail location would be obligated to do. Now, this Supreme Court case effectively has now forced the legislature to deal with officially closing this loophole, and LD-180, which was introduced last winter, was an attempt at doing just that, coming up with specific regulations around firework warehouses in Maine. But after the public hearing and work session, a majority of the committee members concluded that Bill 180, as it was currently written, would likely be inadequate in meeting the specific problems laid out by the Bryants and the decision by the court. One of those problems has to do with setbacks. Current state law would have a fireworks retail location set at least 60 feet from any other building. Big Al, according to the Bryants, as well as the owners of Wiscasset's Taste of Orient and Schooner Inn, Cecilio and Christopher's Wontara, Big Al built his warehouse 100 feet from their restaurant and less than 60 feet from the property line. The presence of the fireworks warehouse has now made a portion of their property undevelopable for expansion because doing so would violate the 60-foot requirement. And, in addition to Big Al causing a portion of their property useless for development, their business insurance also increased because of the warehouse being built so close to the restaurant's propane tanks. And so, even though that bill, LD-180, ended up passing without a governor's signature, what passed was a completely different bill than what had been proposed. What had been proposed were some actual rules and regulations designed to regulate fireworks warehouses. But the majority opinion of the committee was to effectively abandon making any actual regulations at the time, opting instead to have the state fire marshal convene a, quote, stakeholder group that would review federal and state requirements for the storage of consumer fireworks by businesses that sell consumer fireworks. And the bill actually required that the stakeholder group present their findings and legislative recommendations to the committee by last November, November 1st, 2021 to be exact. And this is not a report I've read, but it doesn't appear that whatever was presented in that report has made it into any proposed legislation yet. Going back to the bill to ban fireworks statewide, most of the testimonies 
opposing LD1307 were short and to the point, maybe a couple of sentences, no more than a paragraph. The two exceptions were from Stephen Marson of Pyro City, Maine, and Curtis Picard representing the Retail Association of Maine. Marson's testimony included comments on not just LD-1307, it also included his comments on LD-1348, which is another fireworks bill the committee is considering that would require fireworks used next to farms be no louder than 75 decibels. Marson spoke against both bills. LD-1348, according to Marson, would effectively be impossible to implement in the private sector or enforce in the public sector, and went on to explain why and provided a citation to a study supporting his position. His opposition to LD-1307 covered a few different bases. In response to the comments made by the Lewiston House Rep. Cloutier, Marson argued that the quote-unquote patchwork of different rules for different municipalities was by legislative design in the original 2011 bill legalizing them, which the idea being that communities should choose for themselves. Marson also argued that people were being disturbed by fireworks long before they were legally allowed because tourists and vacationers were bringing them up from New Hampshire, something that, according to Marson, would be happening again if the decade-old bill were repealed. In response to the concerns coming from farms and horse owners specifically, Marson reiterated that putting decibel limits on fireworks used near farms would be impossible to implement or enforce, but did concede that more could be done to encourage better etiquette. Quote, Consumer fireworks users need to be good neighbors, and my employees do their best in trying to ensure that customers are doing just that. We can and will provide information in our stores to advocate to be a good neighbor, specifically relating to use around farms, end quote. Picard from the Retail Association of Maine spoke against both LD-1307 and LD-1348 as well. Picard reiterated Marston's position with regards to trying to regulate firework decibels and with regards to LD-1307, argued that the current law was arrived at from a large pool of stakeholders, including retail businesses that are now operational with employees. Picard went on to argue that, in response to what COVID restrictions had done to the economy, deliberately closing down these small businesses would only cause more harm. But, like Marson, Picard conceded that spending more attention on educating the public on proper firework etiquette would be helpful. Daniel Pert of Phantom Fireworks also provided some verbal testimony, arguing that the major issues brought up by those pushing this bill could be addressed at the local level and without an outright statewide ban. During the January 14th work session, the Committee on Criminal Justice and Public Safety voted unanimously to recommend to the legislator to pass an amended version of LD-1307. But at this time, it's unclear what those amendments might be or if the bill would still be considered a statewide ban as the original bill intended. Now, my initial reaction to banning fireworks in Maine was to oppose this bill. I personally do enjoy fireworks from time to time. They're fun to have when friends and family from away come up to visit, and it's fun to watch stuff explode. And I think the argument that legal fireworks are a net positive for our tourist industry has merit. 
But the testimony from the couple in Northfield or the Bryants in Wiscasset helped me better understand where Maine's fireworks policy is breaking down. It has me questioning whether my own position in favor of fireworks makes sense given the potential damage that they're causing my fellow Mainers. But the statements made by Marson from Pyro City, identifying many of these as problems resulting from locally controlled zoning regulations and an ability for communities to enforce their own ordinances, so not necessarily the fault of legal consumer fireworks themselves. This also has a ring of truth for me. There is clearly a need to maybe better educate consumer fireworks customers on firework etiquette when it comes to neighbors, but like Marson argued, there are other ways to approach these issues other than an outright fireworks ban. As I mentioned in the beginning, the committee agreed it should pass as amended, and what those amendments look like hasn't been put up yet. So this bill may end up just putting some new, tighter rules to try and control some of the noise near farms, or a requirement for the retail stores to get involved with better educating the public on firework etiquette, rather than an outright statewide ban. It's also possible that whatever recommendations the Fireworks Warehouse's stakeholder group came up with will end up being reflected in some of the amendments as well. This will definitely be one I'm going to keep following. Okay, the other bill I'm covering today is LD-1779, titled, An Act to Protect Election Integrity by Regulating Possession of Ballots in Voting Machine Devices. It's sponsored by Representative Pierce of Falmouth, and it has five other House reps signed on as co-sponsors, as well as one state senator, Senator Lucini of Hancock. The bill was accepted and sent to the Committee on Veterans and Legal Affairs, and a public hearing was held back on January 12th, with a work session for the bill held on the 28th. The bill is designed to do three things, and I'll just read off from the summary. The first thing it does is that it, quote, requires the municipal clerk to retain possession, custody, and control over the sealed containers of ballots unless the law expressly authorizes the containers to be transferred and secured by another entity. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing it does is that it, quote, requires those persons entitled to obtain original ballots for inspection to keep those ballots in their sole custody in a secure location with any inspection subject to oversight by an appropriate public official. Okay, that's the second thing it does. The final thing it does and this is the part that I think is problematic. Quote, The bill also prohibits the municipal clerk from transferring possession, custody, or control of a voting machine or voting device to any person except as authorized by the Secretary of State. Why do I think that piece is problematic? Currently, Maine's ballots are tabulated in one of two ways. DS-200 tabulators are used in the majority of municipalities and are responsible for tabulating over 90% of Maine's ballots. The other option is that the municipality decides to hand count their ballots. However, there is another scenario laid out in Title 21A that is available to municipalities, and that's for a municipality to either purchase their own election machines and voting devices or to enter lease agreements themselves with an election machine or device supplier directly. This would remove the Secretary of State as a quote-unquote middleman, so long as the type of machines and devices acquired by the municipality 
are types approved for use by the Secretary of State's office. If a municipality were to forego using leased equipment provided by the Secretary of State and instead chose to either purchase their own voting machine and devices or enter lease agreements directly with election machine and device suppliers, then that municipality should have the right to transfer possession, custody, or control of their own voting machines or devices to any person or entity they see fit. Other than approving their use, the Secretary of State should have no authority to limit what a municipality can and cannot do with their independently acquired property. Because the cost structure for a single main municipality to enter a lease agreement with a company like ES&S is financially unlikely, the change I'm suggesting may not seem necessary. And while this may be true under the current market conditions for leased machines and devices, it's entirely within the realm of possibility, as has been proven in other states, for a single municipality or county to raise funds for outright purchase of voting machines and devices, including the DS-200. I understand the scenario I'm describing is currently unheard of in Maine, but I also believe it's an important option for municipalities that do not want to hand count but would also prefer to not outsource the tabulation of their votes to voting machines and devices owned and updated by a private company. Additionally, without clearly protecting the rights of a municipality to transfer possession, custody, or control of voting machines and devices that the municipality acquired separate from the Secretary of State, LD-1779 could become a step in entirely removing a municipality's right to acquire and operate their own voting machines and devices. Okay, that's all I got for today. If you're interested in reading up on either of these bills a bit more, I'll have a couple of articles up at the website, themainpolis.com, that are basically just transcripts of what I've just read, but there'll be links to the main.gov pages for both these bills. The other thing, too, is that for anyone that wants to submit their own comments on either of these bills, they're still taking public comments. I'll try and get a link up for that, too, but it's also accessible from any of the committee homepages. Okay, I think that's it. Oh, uh, one more thing. I finally got up all the sources I used for what I laid out in the last episode dealing with Hydro-Quebec and the environmental impact caused by large-scale hydroelectric projects. I didn't count them, but I've probably got over a hundred different sources listed in the show notes that I used to pull that one together. Okay, that's all I got. Thanks for listening.